This podcast is brought to you by SoFoodie with a PH. SoFoodie is the go-to platform that highlights the stories and showcases the talents of brothers and sisters who are innovating and creating in the world of food and beverage. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SoFoodie, that's foodie with a PH, or sign up for their email at SoFoodieWithAPH.com. This is JJ Outlaw. Hi, I'm T Outlaw. And we are the co-hosts of the Gourmet Goober podcast. And we are back with a brand new episode. You can always catch me, JJ Outlaw, by the way, on the Twitter at JJ Outlaw. I'm on Instagram at the, no, 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 the, just Gourmet Goober. And as always, I'm here every week with, or every two weeks, if you will, with my BFF, my husband, that dude. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. You are the dark desperado. That's right. <laughs> That's right. T Outlaw. Hey. Hey, how y'all doing? Hi, I'm T Outlaw. You can find me on social media at T Outlaw on Twitter. T O U T L A W. Once again, that's right. I can spell. And on Instagram at T Outlaw Josie Wells, like the movie. You can always find us at thegourmetgoober.com on Facebook if you are so inclined. I do not like Facebook. I hate Facebook. I really do. <laughs> or just <laughs> Facebook not like you. <laughs> I don't think Facebook likes any of us, to be honest. I'll just be totally honest. That's one of the reasons why I'm not a fan. But if you are on Facebook, you know, to talk to your mama and them and you want to see us, then just look for us at the Gourmet Goober blog. And, of course, you can always drop us a line at thegourmetgooper at gmail.com. So we are super excited because today we are rolling out our third interview. That's right. We are rolling here at the Gourmet Goober. And our third interview is with Justin Doggett. He is the owner of Kyoto Black, um, which is a coffee brand here in the Chicagoland area. But he is nationwide. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the really cool thing about him is that he is a champion of the Kyoto style of cold brew. And let me tell you, you'll come away with this episode knowing everything there is possibly to know about um, coffee. And it's just really a fascinating interview and his story. And I'm just so excited to bring um, one of my favorite brands in the founder of that brand to you guys so it'll be a really entertaining talk no it's definitely is 
something outside of my realm of knowledge. I have to admit. Yeah, I you are not a coffee that. person. That's right. <laughs> if I could, I would like to have coffee with my milk. You know, I'll toss in. But yeah, I do admit after rapping with Justin, I will say that I literally was going back in the the books trying to get my, you know, coffee for dummies certificate going. <laughs> and if you if the Coyote brand um coffee sounds familiar, um the Coyote Black brand, it's because we've talked about the podcast before. In fact, it was actually one of the best things that I drank that week. Um and it is amazing. Um we were talking about how the notes like you can really taste like the chocolate and the stout and the bourbon. And when I tell you, it is just a really unique story how he put this together in the brand. Um, I was just super excited when my friend Vitaly introduced me to him. And I was like, dude, we have to have you on the podcast. Yeah. There were a lot of technical <laughs> notes that were taken. And uh, I was actually very impressed. Yeah. So as always, when we have an interview, it's at the last part of the show. And in terms of the show itself, um, we will just have a shortened first two sections. And then the last part, it's like a masterclass in coffee. You guys will want to tune in. Yeah. Coffee. <laughs> it wakes the gourmet goober up and basically it keeps me in one piece. No, dude. I tell people all the time, I drink coffee for all of you. Seriously. <laughs> The gourmet goober does not have her copy. Others suffer. I'm telling you, I, decaf is the devil. <laughs> Remember when I was in the hospital? <laughs> I had that first cup of coffee and I realized I couldn't drink it because it was affecting my heart rate and everything. And I was like crying in the hospital because I was like, I don't know how I could go on without having. <laughs> I, I can't live with the thought of drinking decaf. Yeah, I was thinking that they were going to have to <laughs> put an IV in your arm like, you no. Know, is there hops? Is there, are there special coffee brew? Big Daddy was so panicked. He's like, wait, you can't drink regular coffee anymore? Oh my god. What do we do? Is this the end of our marriage? <laughs> I'm fine, by the way. Just as a heads up, I can totally drink the coffee. It's fine. For right now. <laughs> I restricted myself to one cup a day. We won't say what size a cup is, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> but okay, enough about that. We'll hear a little bit more from Justin later in the program today. But Big Daddy, since we always start talking about our week, this is a huge week for you because da 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 da, sports is back. Yes, yes. Well, sports is back conditionally. Well, yeah, it's not like all the way back. But Tentatively. I'm super psyched because I'm an NBA fan. And I, well, I'm just a basketball fan, period. College basketball, NBA, WNBA. I watched my first WNBA game in weeks earlier today. And I was just like, yes, normality. <laughs> I saw a scrimmage of the, um, the Mavs played the Lakers a couple days ago. And it felt good to watch that, even okay. though LeBron only paid 15 minutes. So, of course, the Mavs were all over the Lakers. I don't care. It was just good to see. Right. 
So how do you feel? Because that's part of your livelihood, right? I mean, that's a big part of your week, right? That is a big part of my week. I will say, hi, I'm still here. (laughs) But yes, I'd be willing to say that my week was actually very stressful. And I'm sure we'll get more stressful for this reason. We are taping this literally like a week before August begins. And I'm a little concerned because in the next calendar month, every major sport conceivably is coming back or has started. Yeah. Major League Baseball has just started. That's right. The NBA, the Goober, is now freaking because they are on restart. (laughs) They are going into their eight-game playoff seeding type tournament. Um, set up before they go into their playoffs, which I believe is MLB or uh, yeah, it was MLB that expanded their playoffs. But also, as you said, the WNBA has began their season today. Also, the NHL is a week away from starting. Soccer is basically like a month, at least with the MLS and NWSL. They're like a month into their, I guess you would say, tournament restarts and that big Magilla gorilla in the room the nfl is a solid month they're going to a training camps literally right now before they start so literally there's going to be a grand convergence right about now so my stress level is probably 1000 plus five So I'm a little stressed, but at the same time, I guess I'm glad to be working. Okay, maybe this is a good time to say, if you guys are listening, please pray for Big Daddy. (laughs) Because now as I'm hearing this, I'm just like, I may lose my husband next month. (laughs) I'm sorry. No. I mean, on one hand, I'm excited because I remember when everything stopped because of the Rona, right? And Mm -hmm. like your overall stress and how you dealt with that and just like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? Is there going to be a need for me? This is something that I've covered like my entire professional career. What happens when it stops? And I'm sure he's obviously he's not the only one. I mean, dude, there's like a whole network dedicated to sports and everything stopped. So what did they do? You know, so they play the last dance. And every 30 for 30 they could get their hands on. Hey, some of those 30 for 30s were really, really good. They reran the one about Bobby Slick Leonard in the Indiana Pacers. Okay. Which, oh my God, if you guys haven't seen that, I'm I'm born and raised in Indianapolis. And it's one of my favorite stories of all time. When the Indiana Pacers joined the ABA, they had to raise money. And they didn't have the money to do it. And so Bobby Slick Leonard, who worked with the Pacers, he had a telethon. But did he end up fighting a bear? No. Okay. <laughs> no. Semi-pro didn't happen. Oh, that's too bad because I love that movie. But... <laughs> it was his mama Patty LaBelle. His mama was not Patty LaBelle. No. By the way, guys, if you guys have not seen Semi-Pro, oh my God, that is like one of my favorite basketball movies of all freaking time. Dude, his mama was Patty LaBelle. That's right. I just that took to be me hugged. out. <laughs> Once again, if Patty LaBelle would just give me a hug, 
some food and call me Chipmunk. I am I'm butter. Okay. All right. We're gonna take a moment. We're gonna talk about your your week in just a minute. But we collectively, all of the listeners and everyone, we're gonna take a moment to just put out in the universe that before this year is out, we are going to interview Patty LaBelle. We're gonna talk to her. We are. I don't know how this is gonna happen. We're gonna get her to call my husband Chipmunk. That would literally make my husband's day. Yeah. So, I will literally do a fat kid dance <laughs> if Patty LaBelle at least says hi to me. So if you know Patty LaBelle, if you have some connection to Patty LaBelle, Miss Patty would be perfect for the show. We could talk about music. We could talk about the mass singer, how you should have won the mass singer. We could talk about them patty pies that we're addicted to. But mostly if you could just call my husband Chipmunk, that would make his that would like make his life. That's right. I don't need a prune cobbler. He I doesn't mean, need I a prune think, cobbler. I mean, he just wants to be called chipmunk. That's right. Just call me chipmunk. I call him just chipmunk too, but it's not the same. No, it has to come from Patty. That's right. <laughs> sing a song, food, whatever. Just, you don't even have to sing. Just please call him chipmunk. <laughs> I mean, obviously my mother would never talk to me again if I didn't ask you to sing. But you don't have to sing. Just call him chipmunk. Are we landing on a little thick? I'm just putting it out in the universe. I, You know what? Matthew Cherry, I follow him on Twitter. Several years ago, he he put it out in the universe. He's going to win an Oscar, and he won an Oscar for Hair Love. Ours is a little bit slow, lower as far as a reach. We just want to talk to Patty and have him call you Chipmunk. Well, Matthew Cherry had to do works. Well, to yes. Get to the Oscar level, that means we have to do works. We're going to do works too. It's not like we're going to lay around and just say, come to us, Patty. That's right. That's not how it works, but I'm just saying, I believe in manifesting stuff. We're going to talk to Patty LaBelle. Okay. I guess since we're putting things out in the universe, so, um, Miss Oprah Winfrey. <laughs> That's hey, now me. you're reaching. I just start with Patty. Aim for the sky. <laughs> And if you, you know, if you miss, at least you're amongst the stars. Oprah, holla at brother. Just at least say hi. You know, there is actually a way that that can happen, but I'll have to tell you off off the mic. I'm not beating up Stedman to do it. No, no, no. Remember my organization, the Know Somebody Who Knows Somebody Who Knows Oprah. Are you still with this organization? I am until this next Friday. Okay. <laughs> Remember, I wrote the letter to send to Oprah. I, I can't say anymore. Okay. <laughs> I could get... Okay, I can't mention his name either. <laughs> no, we don't want to get that that deep in the hole. No, I don't want to get that deep in the hole because then it involves a whole story that I really want to tell. Oh my God, there's a story I've been dying to tell. And Big Daddy's like, no, you cannot. You can't ever tell the story. But it's a funny story, let me tell you. <laughs> but I don't want to get people in trouble so I'm no fine. no it's a terrible story let's stop okay yeah. let's go back to your week <laughs> we are way off course so your week pray for him all the sports oh my gosh are you ready for all of this no because on one hand it's like exciting but the other hand it's terrifying for you yes it's terrible like it's it's terrifying it's terrible <laughs> but at the same time yes i am that. glad to <laughs> Keep it going. I mean, every day that God allows me to wake up, I'm I feel blessed. 
So, I mean, yes, I am a little scared, but at the same time, hey, once again, we, you know, I am, I am here. I'm with the goober. Let's keep it popping. So, how was your week? (sighs) (laughs) That good, huh? You know, I'm happy I made the decision that I did. And I think as I'm reaching the end, um, because by the time this comes out, this will be by last week, this episode. This episode will drop on Tuesday of my last week with my other work, my oh, present organization. I was like, ooh, I was like, is this the last week of the Gourmet Goober? I was like freaking out. I ain't got no job here? <laughs> Stop. Okay. That's, that's what it sounded like. I was getting No, nervous. the last week of my organization, the last time I was on the mic, I told people about me changing jobs. Yes. And so I'm in this weird flux. So like, I just got this email from my new job and they're sending me a computer. I'm like, yes. And they're like sending me stuff. And I'm like, yes. But then I have stuff to wrap up with my old organization and trying to track it down. And like, I'll be working this weekend on it. Cause I want to leave them in a good spot, but I'm just like, Oh my God, it's hitting me. Does it ever, for everybody out there, does it ever like hit you in that little area? Like, you know, between the time, like two weeks, three weeks from the time you are leaving one space or one opportunity to go into another opportunity, that kind of weird period, does everything kind of go in a weird pattern? Does it ever like, there are so many things to tie up at the very end before you go into the new thing and like the stress of going into a new uh, position that might be include different things. Does that period ever really stress you out so much or is it kind of like a marathon? I would say that you are freaking out because you're like literally trying to run to get everything done, tied up, but then you got to worry about, okay, am I going to have this done or do I just need to cut loose with from this point? Is it just crazy? I know the Goober is going through this now, but for everybody else out there, is there a thing for you? Hit the Goober up. Here's the thing. I think part of the reason why it's so scattered is that I haven't been in the office for a while. So it's kind of doesn't feel like a normal transition, right? So like today I went to the office and I got all of my personal effects out. So next week when I go to the office, I'm going to spend some time refiling and putting everything away. And then I have my final interview and that's it. Right. I just turn in some last grants and reports that I'm doing and I'm setting everything up. She's also taking things out of, I don't know, cabinets and maybe putting it in the back of her car. No, that's not true. She may be absconding with things. Stop saying that. Okay. Cause that is so not true. Okay. In fact, a matter of fact, I donated some things today because I had like teas and things that I kept in my desk. And I'm just like, you know what? I'm just going to leave it here for a client. That said, I took back my good coffee because I had some Creole coffee that I had left there and no one was drinking the Creole coffee. And I was like, that stuff is hard to find. So I will be taking my coffee and chicory back. That's the only thing. But I did donate some other things to the item um, because you know, it's a nonprofit and it's really important to me that I take care of the clients and the people who work there. I've 
I said goodbye to the board during my last board meeting last week. That was awkward. I'm also... She was throwing up deuces. No, I didn't do that. You, but... Virtually. No, no, no. Here's the here's the thing. Okay. So a couple of the board members afterwards looked me up on, on LinkedIn. And they're like, we want to be friends. And... <laughs> and <laughs> I... I think... Okay. This is weird. So when we decided to do the Gourmet Goober podcast um, a long time ago, this was something that was years in the making before I, I joined said organization. And when we created Plum Good and started working on those resources, like the Gourmet Goober brand had already existed in a long time in Chicagoland, for those who live outside of Chicago, you know, like I've been on television and I had a chance to like, do events under the gourmet goober. So it was kind of well known, but just not everywhere. Um, but I've always kept that identity separate from like my day job, right? So <laughs> there's been some board members who looked me up and they connected with me on LinkedIn. And I have like the company that we produce a gourmet goober and like we negotiate for like you know, sponsors and things, it's all under Plum Good Media, right? If you've been listening to us from the beginning, you've heard about Plum Good and how we started. So <laughs> it finally occurred to me, like, holy crap, this other life that I've been so careful and, like, keeping separate from, like, my day job. And I did that partially because I wanted to have the freedom to just create, if I will, without having some kind of barriers, Okay. I mean, it's very different than like you, where some of your coworkers actually know you have a podcast and everything. Some of them know, but not all of them. They but, need to know, right? But you know, if you've had coworkers listen to it, I have told nobody. So no one knows the dirt that you do. <laughs> well, it's not like that. You do, 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 do. <laughs> Stop! It's not like I look. I've been very respectful. I've never said the name of the organization. I think last week was the most I've ever talked about that experience. The last episode. Because again, one shouldn't have anything to do with the other. And I, I'm i really good at keeping that separate. But now I've noticed that a couple of them have signed on. And I'm like, crap. Uh, what if they like go back and listen? They're going to learn the dirt. <laughs> and it's not like we talk about anything illicit or anything. Okay, maybe the episode where we talk about I almost got invited to a party. Well, I did get invited to a party by Bishop Don Magic One. <laughs> I can imagine this particular board member having to Google who that person is. <laughs> and oh, what a creation that Google <laughs> will proceed upon them. <laughs> so if he's listening, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, well. Oh, well. You're going to learn today. <laughs> You're going to learn today. But I guess what I'm trying to say is it's kind of a weird kind of thing that's going on right now. Okay. And I'm trying to do what I can to make it easier. And I think, honestly, part of it is anxiety over making the change. And then the other part is the anxiety of jumping into a new position. One that I really want, but at the same time, one that has new responsibilities to kind of blend in my past experiences into it. Okay. And then 
honestly, part of it's the anxiety. It's my birthdays <laughs> on the 2nd of August. Okay. When does that got to do anything? Well, no, because there's always, I'm one of those people who's like, am I where I want to be when I reach a new year? And I put that anxiety on myself and then going through all of that anxiety, the change at the same time. And you know how I went back and forth, like, am I doing the right thing? Is this right for my career? Is this right for where I want to build Plum Good? I, I just, I'm, I'm just a bunch of anxiety right now. <laughs> so maybe you should ask me in another week how I'm doing. <laughs> but yeah, the idea that the board member like read it, because it's like right there. I mean, I don't, okay, I don't use my government name on this podcast, but if you really looked, it wouldn't be that hard to find me. Don't. Please don't. <laughs> that's not an opportunity. That's not a challenge. But I'm saying there's a reason why I don't use my government name on the podcast. Because I just, I wanted that separation. No, I'm, I'm okay with that. My government name is Willie Davis. <laughs> Your government name is not Willie Davis. They don't need to know that. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. What was it? The Reverend Deacon. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> that was a Tom Joint. No, that was a Doug Banks hit. That was the no. Reverend Doctor Deacon, Deacon Doctor Doug. 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 <laughs> the Reverend Doctor Deacon. No, the Reverend Deacon Doctor Doug. Yes, you're the Reverend Deacon Doctor Doug, and well, I have to come up with a fake name too. My real name is the I am the prophetess Becky Johansson Smith. That sounds right. That sounds almost like Karen Johansson Smith. <laughs> But okay. I'm sorry. Is Smith not is Smith not enough down name for you? It almost sounds like you. What what was the name again? I I, I forget. Becky no, Johansson. No, no. I'm the prophetess Becky Johansson Smith. Becky Johansson Smith. Do you have a prune cobbler with raisins in it? No. Do you have potato salad with raisins in it? Okay. All right. What would you call me then? <laughs> Simone Nixon. <laughs> That's right. Just Simone Nixon. Simone Nixon. Wait, wait. That's... You get to be the Reverend Deacon Dr. Doug, and I'm just Simone Nixon? Is I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen. My name is, is Simone basic. Nixon not a badass <laughs> name? That's hey, That's hot. I like that. Well, I have to admit, I have a badass government name, so maybe having a basic name is okay. You kind of have a basic name to begin with, but... Well, no, no. You just picked up my name, which made a good... No, no I made a hyphenated I, name that literally, if you Google me, I am the only one in the world with that name. Mm -hmm. It's actually kind of cool. So whenever I meet my clients, they would always say, oh my god, is that really your name? That's badass. And I'll be like, yeah. I married well. Okay, so my real government name, there is a dead Irishman that has my... <laughs> My real name and Okay, maybe we I'm should okay stop talking about our government name because someone will see that as a challenge. <laughs> yeah, I don't need to be doxxed. We we don't we don't need that. <laughs> as far as you know, he is the Reverend Deacon Dr. Doug, and I guess I'm Simone Nixon. Of the building fun <laughs> church. No, what was the Mount Mariah? What was it? We were watching it was a Jeopardy question, the reason why it came up. We were we are Jeopardy freaks and we watch Jeopardy every day. And there's this question where there was like a name of a church that he named. It was like the Mount Mariah 
Ebenezer. Oh, the Ebenezer Baptist Church or something. Right. Down south. And she said, the lady said, what was it? Like Salt Lake City or something? Yes. And we both started laughing like, lady, that is the blackest name for a church ever. There's no way that is in Salt Lake City. See, now you're going to feel bad if you go to Salt Lake City and find the Ebenezer Baptist Church of the building phone. Yeah. It does not exist there. See, now look that up. Okay, so now that we apparently have reached the giggling stage of this podcast. I'm straight. I'm good. <laughs> um... We're going to take a break. I think, unless there's something else. Oh, wait. I'm there, Gucci. No, no. There's one more thing we should talk about. Well, what's that? Remember, we were talking about taking a break. Taking a break? Like a summer break. Oh. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Are Am we I still, still getting paid? Are we getting paid now? Oh. Please. Well, please buy Goober Swag. <laughs> Help us get paid. Well, we are making... We are making money from our advertisers. Now, are we making like, you know, this is the read money? No. <laughs> no, but once again, back Goober swag, y'all. Please help us, <laughs> you know, because we are poor, struggling children. We need a building fund. And if you buy Goober swag, it will make us happy. And we will wave at you from our window. I think what Big Daddy's trying to say is, we are going to be taking a break in August. I didn't say that. But I guess we're taking a break, huh? We talked about this. Okay. Are we not doing it? No, we can take a break. Okay. We're taking a brief break in August. I'm going to the beach. Skip this. <laughs> we're taking a brief summer break. Um, so we will put in our show notes when we'll be back. Um, but that's just to rewind, to get me used to my new job, you know. To fight the effects of the Rona, to make sure Big Daddy doesn't lose his mind during the month that everything converges. <laughs> As he said, you can always support us by going to gooberswag.com and hooking yourself up with some prime goober gear. Um, you can always support the Gourmet Goober as well by leaving a five star review on. Stitcher and on Apple Podcasts, and of course we will read them. You can hook us up with a coffee and donate to the show, and we are working on our Patreon, so we will hopefully be able to roll that out soon after the break. And that's another way you can support us, and of course by listening to this podcast. You know, our fabulous sponsors and collaborators um, at Anchor. That helps us as well. So, yay. Thumbs up. <laughs> so, we really appreciate you giving us that space and grace to kind of catch your breath. And then we're looking forward to coming back in a couple of weeks with some great new episodes. Um, in the meantime, we are going to take a quick break. We're going to come back with the What's Eating Us segment where we talk about the intersection of food and pop culture. And then we'll wrap up the podcast today with um, our interview with Justin Doggett from Coyote Black. You're listening to The Gourmet Goober, and we will be right back. Return of the Mac. <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, guys. This episode of The Gourmet Goober podcast 
is brought to you by Coral Nano Silver. Coral Nano is the all-new toothpaste system that promises oral health at 100% all-natural ingredients. That's right, no parabens, no glycerin, no potential harmful chemicals that it may affect your family's health. So head on over to CoralToothpaste.com. That's CoralToothpaste.com. And you know what? You can even save 10% by using offer code BBGOOBER. That's BBGOOBER. Take care of your family's health. Do it the all-natural way. Coral Toothpaste, thanks for being a sponsor. Now back to the show. Hey, everyone. We are back. This is JJ Outlaw. Hi, I'm T. Outlaw. And we are back with the Gourmet Cooper podcast. <clears throat> oh, goodness. Are you reclumped? I think I am. <laughs> anyway, we're at the section of the podcast called What's Eating Us. And that's where we share three stories that um, we find interesting in the intersection of food and pop culture. And today we have three stories that really have intrigued us this week. Um, The first story actually takes place in South Korea. And it is involving a really weird story, um, a scandal involving breakfast cereal. Breakfast cereal. Yeah, I know breakfast cereal is probably the last thing you think is scandalous. But back in 2004, Kellogg's Korea division, they decided to launch what is known as a president election event to promote what they were launching, which is their chocolate check cereal. So they ran this like big promotional campaign, right? And there were two characters... um, either one look like Tony the Tiger? <laughs> no, it did not. It did not look like Tony the Tiger. But there were two characters named Checky and Chaka. Okay. So Checky was... Chucky. <laughs> not Chucky. Checky. Checky was the character that they created to promote Czech's chocolate um, cereal. Okay. And it was supposed to be like a smoother milk chocolate taste cereal, right? Um, Chaka, on the other hand, was a green onion flavored cereal. What? (laughs) Yes. So for one month, the South Korea public voted on who would they wanted to be the president of Czech's Chaka world, right? Wait a minute. (laughs) So your choices was a chocolate cereal, Okay. Or one that tastes like green onions. If you name a dude Chaka, I'm looking for like a <laughs> character that looks like a knockoff Count Chocola. I was thinking Chaka Khan, actually. Mm-hmm. Look, okay. I, I would say Chaka should be the one that looks like chocolate. But anyway, Chaka was the green onion one. There are so many like <laughs> racial overtones to this that could, <laughs> but I'm glad they went the way they went. We are not going down that rabbit hole. But here's the thing. So after the voting's won, who do you think won, right? Obviously, I would think the Chocolate Zero won, but no. <clears throat> Actually, Chaka, the green onion flavored cereal, got more votes. But how? I I'm look, I'm not really sure. I know different cultures like different flavors. Apparently, Chaka rocked their world. 
So the people at Kellogg's is like, dude, there's no way we're producing a green onion flavored cereal. They Bump that. off guard. Like, completely <laughs> like, listen, I'm sorry. How? What? So they were caught off guard, apparently, apparently. to the point where Chucky, Chucky, the dark chocolate, the milk chocolate flavored cereal won, even though the green onion one got more votes. And Kellogg's Korea voted and they said, you know, there were abnormalities with Chaka and the green onion vote. So we're just going to make Chucky the winner. So following this campaign, people in South Korea were really pissed. So much so that they complained that the election was not fair and they really wanted the green onion cereal to be released. See, They have been saying that for 16 years. Goodness. So after 16 years, Kellogg's Korea released the green onion cereal with the slogan, the flavor that you've been waiting for for 16 years. So right now it's exclusively sold in South Korea. Um, although there is belief that you'll be able to get them in imports because there's a lot of places that you can get imports right now. It's meant to be enjoyed with milk or on its own as a snack. Um, they actually, I found out about it because, <laughs> you know, we research stories from all over the place looking for this story. Um, there is actually this hilarious, and I, I, I just got to tell you guys, please, if you get a moment, Google the actual commercial, because they put out this commercial that will rival any um, K-pop video that you will ever see, where basically the guy is apologizing for screwing up the vote and <laughs> that we are bringing the cereal. So NPR actually covered the story as well. And you guys know I'm an NPR nut. And so they asked, like, what does this cereal taste like? And according to the person that they interviewed, it actually doesn't taste like green onions very much at all. It's kind of like a sweet yet salty kind of a blend. So it's not like you're really putting green onions in milk, right? But <laughs> I got to say, this is kind of a fascinating story because... Literally, they have been pissed for 16 years, and they finally got their cereal. I mean, I'm happy for them, but <laughs> I'm just a little concerned. Okay, I, I guess I have cooked with green onions, but I, I would say that green onions definitely have a distinctive scent. Am I correct? Yes. And I would think mixing this together, I don't know, with the milk or liquid component would definitely amplify that flavor. But they said it actually doesn't smell like... Well, wait, that's not true. Okay. Because what I read was that it tastes like a grilled onion, but some of the places have actually that I've read about it says that you can smell the onion definitely when you open it up. Like when you open the box. But you know how when you grill like a Vidalia, right? Yes. And how it gets kind of like sweeter and it has like that savory undertone note that's to it. Yeah. It's I admit, kind of yeah. like a grilled onion. It's like if I, I take some butter and I like saute, um, grill some onions uh, with garlic and whatever. Yeah. If you saute it to a certain point, yeah, it 
Medallia onions definitely have like a sweeter undertone of notes. So I guess that would be kind of weird. Like with green onions, I thought it would definitely keep a scent, but I don't know. Well, I guess good on Kellogg's to finally give in. Because honestly, if the green onions won, I mean, it's, dude, they have to go with what they advertise. I mean, I know on one level, having come from a background in marketing, (laughs) it's like they set up something where they're like, okay, there's no way this other thing can win. Clearly, the chocolate would win. Mm -hmm. This is actually a chocolate advertising campaign. And people are like, no, we want the other one. Yeah, it's kind of like the popular <laughs> vote in the electoral college. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> so, would you try the green onion checks? No. No, I'm good. I'm solid. Although, we had an interesting discussion before we went on mic about your assertion that you've never actually had checks, which is not true because, again, you've had puppy chow. Muddy buddies for people who are listening. It is not real dog food. In the Midwest, they call Buddy Buddies Puppy Child. I don't know why, they just do. But you've had that before. East Coast, West Coast, I'm so- no. <laughs> um, no. I, I made I, Puppy Child for you. Oh, no, yeah. I made Puppy Child for me and you had some. I thought you called it Muddy Buddies. Well, it is Buddy Buddies, but I grew up calling it Puppy Child. Okay. I didn't call it Puppy Child to you because... It's one of those weird missed Western things that if I said it to someone who didn't grow up in the area, like one time I was on Facebook, the few times I'm on, and there's a foodie group where someone is just like, have you ever heard of this monstrosity called Muppy Chow? And everyone in the group said no, except for me. And I'm like, I grew up in the Midwest. And she goes, I grew up in Gary. I'm like, okay, I grew up in Indianapolis and the space I grew up in. Most the same way is ambrosia is a thing. And veggie pizza is not really a vegetable pizza. Please don't ask me to explain it. It's it's horrible. That's okay. All I heard was veggie and I zoned out. <laughs> Puppy chow is strangely enough what they call muddy buddies, which is a confection made with um checks, chocolate chips, peanut butter, vanilla. Um, and powdered sugar. Seriously, it is the most easy snack in the world to make. Okay, good for you. But yeah, to my knowledge, I've only had in my life forty something years X amount of cereal, <laughs> and I have never really in my mind I, that I think of can have had checks mix. But yeah, I guess you know the. The Goobers put a, a lot of things in front of me, <laughs> kind of the way they you know how they say like if Mike, no, if Mikey will eat it, anybody will eat it. I think I, I, I've probably eaten some things that I didn't know what they were. I just ate them because I was either hungry or B, I was trying to get the Goober off my back. Okay, so, in all fairness, there has been a lot of things I've said in front of you that not told you what it was until after you ate it. And you won. You're good. <laughs> But going back to the checks, like you mentioned checks mix. Actually, I would probably try the green onion um checks in a checks mix. It sounds like it would be really good. Well, you're an adventurous sort. You would try that. So is there any like odd flavored cereal that you would try? No. 
I'm telling you, I am not lying when I say in 40-something years of life, I, I could probably name the different cereals that I have had from childhood till now, probably on the fingers of my hand, not including the thumbs. But from the way they describe it, I think if they just didn't say that it was a green onion flavor, I don't, I don't think people would freak out as much about it. But then again, people are willing to accept all sorts of weird things when it comes to cereal. Like, remember we were talking about a couple of weeks ago, the revelation that, what was it, Fruit Loops doesn't have individual flavors for their cereals. They all taste the same. Oh, but no. we're tricked into knowing that because they're different colors. It's true. Fruit Loops, each Fruit Loop has exactly the same flavor. I read that and I was like, that couldn't be true. And I researched it and it's true. So no, you the, just killed it for me again. Now I'm like, we talked about that. Too. There's no, there's no distinct flavor. You Man. think in your mind it is, and that's why they have the different colors. I keep thinking it's actually a lie. I see the red, and I see like red. <laughs> I see like the purple, and I see grape, and I feel like in my mind, mentally, I'm tasting grape. You are eating the exact same flavor no matter what you pick up. Just killed it for me again. That's it. I'm out. But see, if you didn't tell people that, and you just gave them that, and they would have just assumed that, and you would be happy. So that's why I'm just thinking that maybe if you didn't know it was Green Onion checks, you'd still try it. That would also require me to try checks. <laughs> that apparently I've tried, but not known, but tried. Or, that it might be Muddy Buddies, it might be Puppy, checks, Chow, whatever. But, Okay. Well, we do have listeners in in South Korea, so if you guys do happen to get your hands on that, please let us know how you like it. <laughs> Speaking of interesting flavors and interesting phenomenons when it comes to food, phenomena. Our, <laughs> our second story actually comes from a restaurant and a flavor of an item that you know quite well, um, mm-hmm. Burger King, which is known for their Whoppers. Yeah, I like Whoppers. <laughs> whoppers are Whoppers. So earlier this week, Burger King actually rolled out a video starring, um, I forget the young man's name. I want to say his name is Mason. You may have seen him. He is the kid who became famous um, yodeling in Walmart. And he actually is on one of my remix famous favorite remixes of Old Town Road. Okay. Um. So basically, it's a commercial where they are offering um, a Whopper in certain areas of the country, and the Whopper is made in a special way. Well, not entirely. Well, it depends on how you consider made. Like, are we talking about, like, you know, the impossibly crazy Whopper? Well, kind of. Okay. It's called, basically, it's a reduced methane emissions whopper pictures <laughs> so, okay let me explain <laughs> so whoppers obviously except for the impossible ones are made from beef and cows are rather gassy animals and they emit methane gas which is supposedly bad for the environment which is one of the reasons why that people actually encourage you to reduce your meat consumption because of the fact that methane gas contributes to you know a whole host of environmental things that 
you know, could affect our way of living. So what Burger King came out with is they're proudly introducing a Whopper that is made from cows on a low methane diet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so less farty cows. Less farty cows. (laughs) Basically. Okay. I'm I'm now, I'm intrigued. How does that happen? So what they do is they introduce lemongrass to their diet, right? And so lemongrass supposedly has an effect from less, from causing fewer cow burps and other, (laughs) and other things. (laughs) And if you ever have had like lemongrass tea or something for an upset tummy, you kind of get how it works, you know? But here's the thing. So they're advertising that the lemongrass will actually reduce the methanes emitted by the cow by a third. But popular science um, actually came up with an article that said this is actually not really true. And by the way, I guess I should probably say that methane mostly comes from burps, not farts. Okay. (laughs) Although having lived on a farm for a while, let me just tell you, between that and my time visiting the 4-H booth growing up in Indianapolis in the state fair, they are farty. (laughs) But the signature Whopper, according to popular science, they're really not reducing that much in methane because it's not like the cow is eating that during most of its life. It's actually eating it at the last third of its life right before it goes to slaughter. Okay. So by that time, the cow would have done its damage, if Mm -hmm. you will, (laughs) in emitting methane gas. But um, it's not really what they advertise as being 33%, but they said that honestly, it's only reducing it by 3% total. But here's my question. Um, the sandwich, which Burger King, by the way, they read the popular science article and they're standing by their determination, even though it hasn't necessarily been proven yet that it is 39%, that they're 33 to 39% reduction in methane overall. So they're moving ahead with selling this signature wafer with reduced methane in Miami, New York City. Los Angeles, Austin, Texas, and Portland. So here's my question. One, because we actually had a Whopper today because I was driving home from work and I was hungry and I thought, um, I'll just stop at Burger King because I want something really quick. Um, And they had two for five Whoppers. So I got one and you got one. But when I got the Whopper, I didn't sit around and thinking to myself, hmm, does this Whopper have less burps? Did yes. it come from a less burpy cow? Hopefully. So one, is that a really effective advertising tool connecting your beef to less methane? <laughs> and two, would you try the, I mean, what, is it enough for you 
to want to reduce methane that you would pay what a dollar extra or something for the lemongrass. A dollar extra for lemongrass. And I don't really know what the pricing is. I wasn't able to get the pricing before we went on air. But okay. I imagine they would have to charge something different because it's a different diet. Right? And you would have to spe- specify getting this Whopper. Now, there are so many different things to unwrap in this story. <laughs> it's a cow. And I admit, cow, I get meat. And so many different, you know, cuts of meat. So I guess I'm not that worried about how much methane, at least right now, the cow is pushing out. Because like you said, the cow is, throughout his life, pushing out X amount of this through burps and farts. If it comes out the rooter of the tutor, <laughs> I know it's yes. big, but it's still a thing. But I, I have to, once again, like, figure out how methane is broken down. I know it's bad for the environment, but if you can find a way to... I don't know. Can we put methane and have it run cars? Maybe that might help the environment. But if we want to follow the science, if it's going to help us say cow has a healthy diet, then yes, I'm willing to pay an extra, I don't know, 50 cent to a buck if this will help things. But we truly need to know that it is helping things. But also, I guess I'm sitting here thinking, okay, so... If this is methane coming from a cow, burps and whatnot, what about pigs and chickens? Don't they do with a certain kind of diet? Don't they push out the same like stuff? Well, yes. I mean, that's actually one of the reasons why, again, going back to, like, remember that nonprofit I used to work with before my current place where they advocate an entire meatless diet for the reasons that not only do farm animals like cows and pigs take up an extraordinary amount of space when it comes to water usage and land usage and all of that stuff. But yeah, they do put out methane. And yes, methane is a source of energy, but it can also be rather destructive to the environment depending on you know, how it's you know, collect it. Can we like get, um, oh, wait a minute, as opposed to worrying about the science of the methane coming out the cow, can we find a way to like get a big methane sucking machine to like, <laughs> re- like, you know, kind of like, like a cow filter. Burps? Yeah, like, <laughs> like literally walk up to, can we give a cow a colonic? Okay. That is like an idea that I don't want to even think about because, ew. Come on now, let's follow the science. Maybe methane. Have you spent a lot help- of time around cows? Uh, no. Okay. Let let me just say that's probably not a good idea. Not a good idea? They put out a lot of stuff. I believe you. <laughs> I'm sure it's pre, pre-foul. Don't ask me how I know people. Well, yeah, it's growing up. I mean, I did I live? I lived on a farm when I was in grad school, and there was a couple of cows that they raised. And... In addition, growing up in Indy, like if you go to the state fair, it was like really big. I think we talked about it on the previous episode. And you asked me why we didn't go and look at the animals. And when we were talking about the story, I'm like, that is why we didn't go look at the animals. Because it was hella hot. And the last place you want to be is in a 4-H tent or the 4-H setup with all those animals 
and it being hella hot because they put that stuff out. Literally, you will wake up three days later. You you want none of that. Yeah. And God bless all of you guys who actually go into farming. If I know we have farmers who are listeners. Um, I'm just saying that having experienced it, I really have a respect for people who have that life. And I will happily eat my burger without thinking about all of that. But yeah, they put out a lot. You don't want that. That would actually take a lot to collect that. <laughs> hey, follow the science. You know, <laughs> have the science, you know, as you worry about pandemic issues. Once you get around to, I don't know, dealing with other things, hey, work on a little methane, like, you know, diffuser. That's not, I like to, I like to think of that. I like that idea. A diffuser for methane. Okay, that, that would be kind of interesting, actually. Yes, it would. <laughs> so, lastly, maybe we should move on to something less... Gassy? Gassy. Mm-hmm. Although it is made of dairy, and that does make me gassy. So, <laughs> anyway, you and I were talking about <clears throat> something that also hit the airways this week, and that was about Tyra Banks. So, for those of you who are probably following pop culture, you may have noticed that she was all over the internet for a couple of reasons. One, she took over Dancing with the Stars. So if you are one of those people who watch that show, I am not a Dancing with the Star fan. I think it's kind of mad corny. But if you are one of those people, you can certainly um, check out Dancing with the Stars. And I guess she's the new host of it this fall. How is your sister handling it? Because I know your sister actually watches it. You know, it's not ask her. She had other things to worry about. She's, <laughs> Happy birthday to my sister. Yes, happy birthday to your sister. Yes, but I did not talk to her about that. I didn't want to, like, shake her world with that, but, you know, it was a thing. Yeah, I figured she might be a little disheartened about that. But in addition to Dancing with the Stars, Tyra Banks, um, the former model and host of America's Next Top Model, and she of the Tyra Banks talk show, she is actually rolling out something that's called Smize Cream. S-M-I-Z-E. Um, like, smile with your eyes. That's like her trademark thing. Yeah. So Smize Cream, which is um, only going to be released in Los Angeles for now, although knowing her, she'll probably take it nationwide soon. Um, but it's actually an, a dairy dish that she's having a premium ice cream. And the idea behind Smize Cream is that every, um, it's going to be like a sweet and savory kind of confection. Okay. So I don't know, maybe she'll have one in green onion flavor or something. <laughs> kind of sweet and savory. But there's a supposedly like an edible prize called a Smize, of course, that is inside every flavor of ice cream. Okay. I, I, an edible treat. Yes. Okay. So would you be excited to try Tyra Banks's smize? And then what do you think would be like the smize price you'd give away? I, I there are so many things I, I don't know. I really don't. Like, does it come with like special makeup or? Like, well, no, fashion? it's supposed to be edible. Ed, ed, you know, you can use edible oh, makeup. Oh, actually. Yeah. 
now that I think about it, anyone who's grown up and had like the little, the lip, the lip thingies, like the little, the lip glosses were edible. Yeah. I, I guess it could be that. Yeah. I mean, you could put together something that you can use as a black ash shadow or, yeah. you know, something you can kind of like, you know, as a bronzer. You know what? That's not crazy. Because remember, um, who was it? Um, Jessica Simpson. She had this like fashion line of like edible like stuff that you could wear, like body creams and things. And it was all edible, but it wasn't like erotic or anything. It was just, I forget the name of it. But yeah, it was a thing because I actually bought it. <laughs> of course you did. I'm so ashamed to admit that, but yeah, I bought it. <laughs> oh my goodness. But yeah, going back to Smize, I'm. I'm thinking if you're rolling out in L.A., it probably has some funky probiotic, you know, vegan flavor uh, hookup. I don't know if she's going to put the funk on it, so I'm a little concerned about trying it. But, you know, I guess I'd be willing to push anything once. Okay, I know I'm happy for Tyra, and, you know, if it helps her business, then I'm willing to support it. That being said, if she's going to put out some flavors... She's got to put out something that's going to at least attract me to the bowl. So, okay, I'll try it once, but I'm not willing to say that this is, it just sounds like it's more makeup than ice cream that's supposed to get me like jumping, but okay. By the way, I do remember the Jessica Simpson line and you liked it. I liked it. Yeah. Cause she put it out right before we got married in 2004. Um, yeah, I know we got married after that, but it was called dessert. It was like this edible, like body cream and like, um, body sprays, lip gloss. And it's all supposed to be, there was one that was like a cupcake that you thought was really kind of cute. Okay. I think I possibly remember my four year old mind only remembers so much, but (laughs) Um, yeah, it was I think called I do dessert. Remember it. Okay. I do remember, yeah, something having a good smell or a good effect on you. It, it was pretty decent. Also, did Jennifer Lopez come out with something similar, or am I putting two things together that didn't go together? I actually don't remember that. Okay. I thought she may have put out like a makeup line or something, not too. Maybe oh. a fragrance line. Oh, no. She has there. tons of fragrances and stuff, but I don't think any of them's edible. Please do not try to eat her shit. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening, please do not try to eat JLo stuff. Yeah. Although they smell good, don't do that. Yeah, there's a. There's we don't want to get sued. Yeah. There's a public service <laughs> announcement. Don't. If it says don't eat it, don't eat it. Well, if you cannot make it to LA in order to try um, Miss Tyra Banks' new stuff, Big Daddy actually found a list of America's best ice cream shops. On the Daily Meal. Because when we first found out about Tyra, we are like, oh, we can totally try this. And then it's like, oh, there is no way we're hopping on a plane with the Rona to L.A. to try this. So if you cannot make it, no worries. There's actually a list from one of our favorite foodie sites called the Daily Meal. And where they break down where some of America's favorite shops are. And actually, it's interesting. We actually went to one of them. Right before, like, right before I moved to Chicago and I agreed to marry you, you took me to one of them, right? Yeah. One of my favorite places in Chicago to 
visit and partake of shop treats is a place called Margie's Candies over on the near west side of Chicago. I believe it's on Western Ave. It is heavenly. It's been there since like I think the 1920s, like 1921, 22. Yeah. Uh, it's been a while and they serve, they used to serve a lot of like antique, uh, chocolate treats and candies, but they also have this ice cream shop that serves the most heavenly desserts. Their chocolate is really, their chocolate ice cream is really good, but yeah, they're known for their hot fudge sundaes. Yeah. The hot fudge sundaes are tight. I admit my wife, the goober over here thinks that I am a very vanilla-like person that eats the most basic flavor of vanilla, but I will say that Margie's has excellent, I mean, excellent, over-the-top, tremendous vanilla, I'm sorry, French vanilla ice cream. Yeah, they are known for their French vanilla. Oh, their French vanilla is like one of the best I've had in a long, long time. Yes. But I definitely endorse Margie's candies um, in Chicago. Also, on that list, I do remember once in a trip to Atlanta, partaking of Morelli's, and I had something called the Krispy Creamery. Oh, my God. Krispy Kreme. Like donuts, flavored, chocolate. Oh, it was it was backbreaking. I think I just gained five pounds just talking about oh, that. Oh, yeah. It's that is insane. It's definitely a Georgia treat if you can get, you know, I don't know if they still sell it, but it was, uh, I definitely remember that. Plus, they had this uh, this good banana split and chocolate confection. Well, this list, which I will share on our um, um, show notes, actually has some really great places. So, for example, the Creole Creamery out of New Orleans. I've actually had a chance to try that. Um, there is a place in Maryland that's called the Charmery. It's in Baltimore. And... Baltimore, I guess, or Maryland period, ice cream, it's just such a big deal there. They actually have an ice cream trail, which I didn't know. And the Charmery has flavors like Maryland Mud, which is a mix of chocolate ice cream, Oreos, and chocolate chips. And then something called the Ice Cream Sando, which is a sweet cream base with chocolate, um, with ice cream sandwich cookie pieces. Mm. They also have ice cream pies, which sounds wicked good. In Michigan, they have something that's called Moomers, which is on a working dairy farm. They have almost 160 flavors of your favorite furs and stuff, including brownie batter and bear pear. Um, and then they have something for indecisive ice cream lovers, something that's called the Holy Cow, which is a whopping 10 scoops of ice cream topped with an entire can of whipped cream. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> this is absolutely... Hey, do it. Are they served by young ladies in bikinis and sombreros? No. No, Harry Carey. It is not. <laughs> Holy cow. So they have some pretty innovative places. Although, I have to say, the place for Indiana I have not been to, something called Brick. Um, B-R-I-C-K. I guess it stands for Broad Ripple Ice Cream. Is there a K in it? Or no. C. So Broadwork for ice cream. No okay. okay. Um, but it's off the Monon Trail, which I've been on. But I have to say, I'm very disappointed that Valpo Velvet was not named. Mm-hmm. Valpo Velvet is kind of a... Like, when we moved to where we live now, 
in the region, or as I like to say, the south-south side of Chicago. They actually have their own um, ice cream company called Valpo Velvet. They do. And it is really, really a cool place. It's in Valparaiso, Indiana. Um, If you can go there, go to the factory. You can actually take a tour. They have really great flavors, including Superman ice cream, which is hard to explain, but it's really delicious. There's a lot going on in that ice cream. But it's uh, if you're willing to go through it, yeah, it's very tasty. It's very decadent, I will say that. Yes. So I'm actually surprised that Valpo Velvet was a name. Well, I guess it's more of a factory than it is like an ice cream shop. They but you can ice get ice cream shop in the front, though. Yeah, they do have an ice cream shop in the front, and people do frequent it very, you know, especially during Popcorn Fest. Oh, yeah. It's like a whole festival that they have in Valpo that's dedicated to Orville Reckenbacher. Yes. And if you happen to make it there, although sadly they had to cancel it this year, but if you happen to go, there is a place called Designer Desserts. I think we talked about it on the podcast before. Multiple times. Yes. But they only one time of year will make their very famous popcorn cupcake. And it sounds insane and it is wicked good and I cannot recommend it enough. That's designer desserts. That's designer desserts. Although, just as a hint, if you can't make it this year on the Gourmet Goober podcast or on the Gourmet Goober site, I actually teach you guys how to make your own popcorn cupcake. Just saying. Maybe I'll put the link on in the show notes, but it's worth it. (laughs) So, yeah. So if you happen to be in L.A., check out Tyra's Place. If not, check out our list that we'll have in the show notes of some of the best other ice cream shops. And if you happen to get your hands on the Smize Prize, tell us what it is, because I'm kind of curious. Yeah, definitely tell us before we try it, because I just want to know what I'm going into. You're just afraid it'll be green onion ice cream. Well, yes. Yes, I'm concerned. <laughs> okay, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we return, we will be returning with our guests, feature guests from this podcast. You guys are so lucky. Two interviews in two weeks, right? Two episodes. But Justin Doggett from Coyote Black, where we will talk all things coffee. And you are listening to The Gourmet Goober. We will be right back. Hey guys, I'm JJ Outlaw, better known as the Gourmet Goober, and I'm here to share this great new recipe journal from author Gaby Loreno. It's a progressive cooking journal designed for short and simple recipes at the beginning before advancing with spaces for longer recipes as you go. It's colorful, fun, fits easily in the kitchen drawer, and it's perfect for any home cook. Best of all, it has over 100 pages for your most beloved culinary delights. Be sure to get your copy today at Amazon.com. Three, two. Hey everyone, this is JJ Outlaw. Hi, T Outlaw. And we are back with the Gourmet Goober podcast. And we are so excited because as we tease in the first segment, we are welcoming um, someone that I'm fast becoming a big fan of, (laughs) even though we were laughing because we've never met yet. So I'm hoping to swing by um, his place too. But we are interviewing Justin Doggett. 
He is the owner of Kyoto Black Coffee. And again, you guys may, if you've heard me talk about it on the podcast, I know I've, I've raved about this before. This is really an incredible um, cold brew that he has a shop here in Chicago. Um, you can also get it um, shipped to you wherever you are in the country as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that also. But the really cool thing is he just has this amazing story. And I first found out about Justin from my friend Vitaly. Shout out Vitaly. <laughs> and he was like, oh my God, I have the perfect person for you to interview on the podcast. Remember I was telling you that? Yeah. <laughs> and when I ordered the coffee and took it home, it was just like, Big Daddy, try this. <laughs> I woke you out of your sleep and forced you to have a cup of coffee. <laughs> and I tried it and it woke me up. <laughs> but it's great. Well, Justin, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate uh, you making the time for me. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're definitely happy to have you on the show because, like I said, we're big fans of your coffee. In fact, um, I'm on the second order right now. But the thing I really love about what we do here at the Gourmet Goober Podcast is I get to meet people with such amazing stories. And your story in particular is a fascinating one because you actually didn't start off like when you were in college intending to go into the food and beverage industry. In fact, if I remember correctly, you were pursuing a degree in engineering at one time, and then you settled on East Asian studies and you thought you were going to be teaching English in Japan, right? That's right. Yeah. So uh, I went to the University of Delaware, uh, over a decade ago now, it's kind of crazy to think about how long ago this was, but um, I entered uh, college thinking that I was going to be a civil engineer, and that's kind of what I talked myself into. I went to a college prep high school, so you know we focused very much on uh, preparing for college, and so you had to kind of have this idea, a rubric of how you're going to go to college. So I had all these ideas about being an engineering student, and I'd been interested in Japan since I was a small kid, so I said, Alongside my engineering classes, um, I'll take Japanese as well. And so I had like a really heavy course load for my first semester. And engineering just was not fun. I didn't like it at all, but I really did like my Japanese classes. So I uh, switched my major and became a Japanese major and started taking just more classes that I was interested in, like history and philosophy and stuff like that. And uh, with that you know, kind of transition, I was thinking, okay, Maybe I can go teach English in Japan or, you know, do something related to Japan. But uh, my life took a completely different turn when I graduated because just in that interim of trying to figure out what you want to do as a career, you still have to kind of work a job. So I picked up just a you know part-time job at a local cafe um, that served Intelligentsia Coffee and, you know, was one of my favorite places in the neighborhood. And through working there, I started to really develop a passion for coffee and geek out on it and kind of understand what makes great coffee great. And that just became kind of an obsession for me over time. Oh, wow. And for those of us who are listening at home, by the way, um, you're being joined by your, joined rather by your adorable daughter. <laughs> well, we were yeah. just chatting about him before we went live. She's just six months old. She's starting to crawl. So, <laughs> yeah, yep. She's in the background giving me a little bit of encouragement, <laughs> trying to coax me into playing with her a little bit too. 
was our love. So glad that she could join us on the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so do you remember the first time that you tried Kyoto style coffee? Yes. Yeah, so uh, basically it was something that people had kind of known a little bit about. Uh, Kyoto style coffee really didn't blow up in uh, America until maybe uh, 2010 or so. And it was just something that you would hear a lot about in passing. Like no one really knew what to make of it because at that time there was only one place in Chicago that even carried it. Uh, Yeah. And I actually took a trip there to try it. I didn't like it uh, at that time just because the, you know, the technique of actually doing it requires a lot of knowledge and just, you know, the, the place that I went to, they make great coffee and everything, but it's just, they didn't even know what to compare it to. So if they, didn't make it correctly, you, they wouldn't even necessarily have known that they didn't make it correctly. So it was one of those things where, you know, they just kind of took a step into the dark and said, hey, we'll just start making this. But there was really no kind of benchmark to compare it to like espresso or drip coffee where you could go somewhere else and say, oh, how does mine taste compared to this? Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I became kind of aware of Kyoto style coffee. Uh, back about like 2010, 2011. And uh, I didn't start actually experimenting with it at home until uh, the fall of 2012, when I built my own brewer, because the the brewers are kind of expensive. So even a small home version is still pushing $300. Yeah. And I just didn't have that money just to get a coffee brewer. So um, I went to the science surplus store and started putting some things together uh, got a separatory funnel with a lab stand and uh, used an AeroPress and a mason jar to kind of complete the whole uh, drip and, you know, collection of the coffee. And uh, that cost me about 80 bucks. And it was a really fun experiment that I blogged about at the time on a blog that's like now defunct. I was just like thinking, oh, I'll make a personal blog. But um, I just didn't really maintain it so much. But I ended up repurposing that uh that particular post and put it on my current website. So anyone who goes to my website can see just like the actual machine that I built. Larry, this is uh, Tiala jumping in. Uh, for simple people like me, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, what makes Kyoto style cold brew different than like all the other uh, coffee brewers on the market? So basically, uh, Kyoto style is a slow drip style of doing cold brew. So when you make hot coffee, you can do drip or immersion. So immersion would be like a French press. And that basically means the grounds are immersed in the water. And then you would filter that out almost like tea. And then drip is you would hold the coffee in some sort of chamber or any sort of brewer. And then you would pour water through and allow that to kind of drip through. Right. Okay. So with cold coffee, you can do the exact same thing. You just have to slow the process down um, because heat imparts energy that allows you to do the extraction. Right. But you can, you can substitute that with contact time. So essentially what you would have to do is uh, for immersion, you would do the typical cold brew where nothing really changes. You just do it for a longer period of time with cold water. But with uh, the drip version of cold brew, you can't do a five-minute extraction. You have to do a 16-hour, 12-hour extraction, however long you want to do it. 
So in order to achieve that, you have to drip the water through one drop at a time very slowly so you can kind of uh, control that contact time. Now, the reason why this is an advantage is because uh, there's a something I call drip efficiency. There's no real like terminology for it right now, but it's something that I use where essentially um, if you can imagine the coffee grounds themselves. So when they are brewing, right, they're surrounded by water. And when they're done brewing, the coffee grounds are still wet, right? Right. So imagine what is stuck to the coffee grounds, right? You would think that it's just water that's stuck to the coffee grounds, but actually it's water and the coffee solids that you extracted. Those are what's stuck to the coffee grounds. If that makes sense, because uh, when you brew coffee, the grounds themselves, they don't dissolve. They release like these uh, flavor compounds, you know, that we call a cup of coffee into the water. Right. And that water that is stuck to these grounds contains coffee itself. So by doing an immersion, you're kind of extracting the coffee and then you're re-adhering it back to the grounds when you filter it because they've been floating around in this full strength coffee, right? Versus a drip version where if you notice the first few drops that come out of that brewer are very, very strong. And then over time they're weaker and weaker. That means the water that is stuck to the grounds uh, has less coffee in it. So you're, you're holding onto pure water uh, and you've allowed more of the actual coffee that's been extracted to just make its way into the cup. Wow. And you said that this process takes about 16 hours on average because yeah. I know you went drop by drop. Yeah. Yeah. So depending on like how large it is, so you can tweak so many of the settings. Like, so for example, you know, when you make espresso an espresso will take like 25 to 35 seconds to, to, to brew um, a pour over, you know, it would take three to five minutes um, with, the slow drip, you can do six hours, you can do four hours, you can do 16 hours. It really depends on how much coffee you're using, what your grind is, just how what your ratio of water is as well, water to coffee. So you can kind of tweak it anywhere within that range from like, I would say four to 18 hours. And depending on where you fall in there, uh, that's going to determine just how the coffee tastes. So a part of it is the style, but then also another part of it is like whatever recipe you choose in terms of what you actually end up manifesting. That is really wild. And I know that when I first started reading up on it, just the idea of just the time it takes to come up with that, because I know most Americans, you kind of think, you know, you, you have a, um, what is that? We have the, the instant, like the one cup brewer that's oh, like the Keurig. Yeah, we have the Keurig. So if it's anything other than five minutes to make your coffee, right. <laughs> I feel like you're getting um, just kind of left behind. But 16 hours. Wow. That is. Yeah. That's patience. We'll start with that. <laughs> exactly. well, really it's uh, 16 passive hours or at least like maybe 14 passive hours. You would spend like maybe two hours just like not brewing it, but like making sure that it's set up for success. And then, you know, from there, you just let it go. And then you're explaining that one of the most unique aspects is the equipment itself 
that you use to make it. Yes. So can you explain a little bit with our listeners what that all entails? And then, as you mentioned earlier, you made your first equipment because it was rather expensive. So what lessons did you learn over time as you eventually tweaked it to you, you know, your needs and um, styling Coyote Black? Yeah, so uh, basically with uh, the equipment itself, like you essentially have, and people can visit my blog too, uh, KyotoStyleCoffee.com, and they can see kind of a picture of the first generation brewer that I assembled. But if you look at a Kyoto style brewer, basically it has a uh, a reservoir that holds the water with a little dripper set on it, like a nozzle that allows you to adjust the flow rate. And then under that is a cylinder, which holds the coffee. That's like the coffee chamber. And then uh, that allows it to drip into a carafe at the bottom. So I pretty much just recreated that uh, using a separatory funnel, which is a funnel that gets used in laboratory settings when you need to uh, do something called titration, where you're adding uh, one compound, one liquid to another one, and you need to be able to control the precise amount that you add to it to achieve a certain reaction or a certain uh, proportion. And it has a just like a slow drip valve on it, which is perfect for doing Kyoto style coffee. Um, to hold the beans themselves, the grounds, I used an AeroPress. And uh, then I just put the AeroPress on top of a mason jar. So that was like my kind of first generation build of it. Uh, and, then, and then to get to where I am now, I just basically took all that and just like scaled it up. So I just had to find like bigger analogs for those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Yeah. So how long did it take you to figure out your current iteration of how you put it together? Uh, it took me, you know, three years in total, like just kind of sourcing things, you know, off and on. I would spend time not necessarily doing a lot of R&D, but just kind of just being satisfied with what I was doing at the moment. So I probably could have condensed that time longer, but it wasn't immediate that I was going to necessarily start a company. I was just kind of doing it for fun and still working full time. So I just kind of did it whenever I felt like doing it as a, as a side project. Um, so in actual time, you know, spent, really developing it. It was probably less than half a year, but in actual time that passed, it was about maybe three years. And I know for a lot of our listeners who have side hustles and um, I, I'm just really fascinated how you just turned this into your own business. So what was the jump like for you jumping from your full-time job into doing this? So essentially, um, I worked also for a coffee company. So I was working for Metropolis at the time. Okay. Uh, yeah, I was their, their uh, trainer. So I was training the staff. And uh, basically, I would do coffee at work and then come home and do coffee again. You know, that was just like my whole day was pretty much coffee. <laughs> um, I got to uh, do a lot of experimentation just because, you know, Metropolis is very generous. So uh, they would give me free coffee. They give all their staff like free coffee, like a weekly allotment of beans. So I had a lot of beans to kind of play around with and really find my kind of recipe. And uh, which I think is something that like maybe keeps a lot of people from really nailing in their own recipe is they're afraid to waste coffee. So they don't spend that time really uh, dialing in their recipes. They just kind of say, oh, this is good enough. I'll just stick with this instead of 
really just pushing for it and burning through a lot of coffee. But um, that gave me the kind of runway to really compare a lot of different outputs to each other. And then um, I was making so much coffee that I couldn't really finish it myself. So I just started just giving it away to everybody in my life. Um, and I do jujitsu. So I've been doing that for about 10 years now. And uh, I would go to jujitsu class and just take water bottles full of coffee concentrate and just give them to people. Wow. And uh, at a certain point, people started asking me for it and saying, hey, man, bring more. We'll pay you. Because, you know, I would just bring it kind of like whenever I was able to bring some, like, you know, just because I wasn't going to just dump it. Right. Right. And uh, so I would just kind of store up a little bit and then bring some. And they were like, hey, man, if you bring some of this, like every week, we'll buy it from you. Wow. All right. Deal. And then at that point, I realized I had a business. All right. So in my mind, as I'm like thumbing through the website and some of the different options, uh, first of all, I was like, how did you come up with like the different blends? Like, was this from like just different concepts? Like you were just in research? Was it from like, like feedback from people who like, you know, partook of the coffee or was it just, you know, a different meld? So with the blends, um, I came up with my core blend, which is the, the black label first. Yeah. And for the first few years of the company, that was the only one that was available. And uh, I came up with that because essentially from working, I, so I worked in coffee my whole professional life from 2010 to now. And, you know, up to the genesis of the, the company itself. So at that point, I became kind of, you know, a bit of a coffee snob myself in terms of like really liking like the more kind of lighter profile, the fruitier, more esoteric coffees. But at the same time, I really understood that people have a certain thing that comes to mind when they say coffee. And what comes to mind is the way coffee smells. So I wanted to create a coffee that tasted the way coffee smells. As much nice. as possible. that was like my thing that I really dialed in on. I was like, no coffee that I've really had, uh, or at least I'm not saying no, but like it's very uncommon to find a coffee that truly tastes the way coffee smells. And, you know, there's so many people who tell me, hey, Justin, I love the way coffee smells. It's such an attractive aroma, but I just can't stand the taste of it. And I wanted to make a coffee where those people could go, wow, like this is finally a coffee that I actually can drink because there's a congruence between the way it smells and the way it tastes. And you know what? I'm really glad that you said that because I think I even mentioned that the first time that I talked about your coffee on the show, Mm -hmm. Um, because in terms of the actual notes of the coffee, Mm -hmm. um, I know that the one that we get, I I think it's the, the main one and it has like flavors of cognac and stout beer and shaved chocolate. And I remember the first time I tried it and you could taste all the notes in it. Right. Yeah. And it was just something that I was just blown away by. And that was why I woke you up, Big Daddy, because I was just like, dude, tell me what you taste in this coffee. And he was like, I taste all of that because that's very unusual. You don't really get the opportunity to experience that. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh I was really happy with 
being able to actually articulate those notes. And, you know, because I sat down and tried all sorts of blends and just different ratios. And the ratio that I use is like three parts, one coffee, four parts, another coffee. And it's like, I had to get that specific blend because any other way it really didn't work. And uh, when it popped off, finally, I got all the notes that I was looking for out of it. So I was really happy to be able to just put it on the label and then have that be true, have that be something that people go, wow, it does taste like all those things. Yeah, that was really amazing. I will say this. Okay, you, since, as you said, you know, you've been in coffee for your whole life, I'm, I'm basically going to admit how much of a freshman I am to this. <laughs> all right, talk to me about this. What would you recommend for in terms of that uh, concentration for someone like from me who literally is like, okay, half milk and like a little bit of coffee to someone like the gourmet goober over here who literally, she will drink the, she, she needs bold coffee, like coffee that's so bold that when she drinks it, she will then turn around and then wake me up. <laughs> I do it for everyone's protection. I yes. just need to stay caffeinated all the time. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of that, what like what do you recommend for like each one of those levels? So here's what I say. This is my like my ultimate advice to anyone who wants to drink coffee. And that is drink coffee that you can drink without anything added to it. Ah. Okay. That, that is that is the mission. Your goal, if you want to actually be a coffee fan, a coffee drinker, you have to get to a point where you've found the coffee and the style and the strength of coffee that you personally can drink black. That's going to put everybody in a different place. You know, so, for example, people might like my coffee, my Kyoto Black, but they don't necessarily drink it straight from the pouch like I do. They might need to dilute it. 50% or even more, right? Um, but they can drink it black. So like, for example, when people come to my cafe, well, I guess that's what I'm calling it, even though it's more of a coffee bar, um, I don't actually have any milk or sugar or anything available. Okay. Huh. Yeah, nothing available. Uh, it's My coffee is all served black. Um, wow, and, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's funny because there are some people who kind of wince at the notion but then they come back, you know, in a week or two weeks and they go, hey, you know what? Like I took some coffee home and I uh, added, you know, like they might get some nitro from me, a, a nitro cold brew. And they're like, I added some milk to it and it wasn't as good as when I had it black. Huh. Okay. And, yeah. And they were like, now I see why you don't have that here. And I told them, oh, yeah, you know, it's because some people will, even if you tell them like, hey, try it first before you add anything to it, just by their reflexive nature will add stuff to it and kind of candy it up before they even try it, which is totally fine. That's their right. It's their coffee. I'm not, you know, uh, here to try to boss people around and tell them what to do. However, as far as what I'm going to do is I'm going to serve you black coffee. And, you know, I know people who take their coffee home and they might add something to it. And that's, that's totally fine. I don't judge them or anything. That's their right to do it. Um, but also when you start looking at, the different styles of brewing, the question kind of changes a little bit. So like, for example, with personally how I drink and I'll, I'll, so I'll share with you 
how I personally drink it, and then my kind of philosophy around it. Okay. Okay. With hot drip coffees, I drink drip coffee black, totally black. I think with that and with cold brew, um, you really need to be able to find a coffee that you can just drink black. Now, one caveat is with cold brew, depending on this, the type of bean used, that can start to lend itself to some more kind of mixed drinks. So like, for example, you know, you might have a coffee soda or uh, like, a, I, so I do a bananas foster ice latte. That's really nice, like toasted raisins and um, charred bananas and stuff like that with the cold brew and oat milk as like a drink that I really personally like. and something that I'm planning on putting on the menu like pretty soon, just as like a, like as a signature drink. Okay. Um, and that is not necessarily a pure coffee drink, but it's a great kind of uh, spirit free cocktail in terms of the, the, the feeling that you get when you drink it. It's like you're drinking a cocktail, but it's spirit free. If that makes sense. Like, so coffee is not just something that you, you know, drink as a practical kind of functional drink is actually something that you can enjoy and use to, to build your palate and uh, to, it's a, it's a culture in and of itself. No, I really like that idea. And I think you're right. I, I think, and, and you know what, it's interesting. I was talking to a friend about this when I was letting her know that I was interviewing you for the podcast mm-hmm. and my friend, Clau- it's Claudia, uh, my friend. Um, or no, 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 not Claudia. It, anyway, I, I have... How many friends do you have? All <laughs> <laughs> my friends, you fit around me forever. I haven't been this one. <laughs> anyway, she had spent a lot of time in Europe, and she was explaining to me how coffee culture and kind of how they view coffee versus how we view it. It's almost like a functional thing. Right. Yeah. Um, is completely different. So it's fascinating to see that you have that philosophy about how coffee and its rightful place in society. Yeah. I mean, and you know, it depends on what the particular person's looking for. And, you know, I can't force people to necessarily adopt my standards, but I just hope to attract people who kind of feel the same way and they feel like they can, you know, feel the same way alongside me and we can talk about it and kind of develop our own culture within coffee culture. Um, you know, when you look at something like espresso, for example, espresso is very divisive because for one, very few people have actually had a good shot of espresso. Like a well-executed shot of espresso is okay. probably the best way to have coffee, in my opinion. I don't know if there's any better way to have coffee. But a lot of people can't drink straight espresso, even if it is well-executed, just because the strength level is just too high for them. Yeah, I so, would pass completely out. Yeah, you know, um, the, the flavor concentration is just too intense. And, you know, with, with that, adding milk is totally, you know, fine. It's, it's, it's appropriate. There's an a art to actually creating milk for espresso as well, you know, how you properly steam that milk. And then the ratios, too. So when it comes to the espresso drinks, I am a kind of a traditionalist, so I would say you have, you know, your, I'm not a big fan of macchiatos. I think at that point you might as well just have a straight espresso. Um, but I do like cortados a lot or Gibraltars, depending on, you know, who makes them. Some people call them cortados, others Gibraltars. Um, 
I like the traditional six ounce cappuccino. That's probably my favorite of the uh, the classic drinks of the the, co- the coffee and milk drinks. Um, the eight ounce latte is also really good. Um, you know, obviously, you know, mochas and and uh, caramel lattes. I, I I'm not like a huge fan of caramel lattes, but mochas are great. Um, but on the smaller side is generally how I prefer it. So in my book, I know that like 12 ounce and 16 and 20 ounce drinks exist, but you will never catch me actually ordering one. Um, if it were up to me, all milk and coffee drinks would have a size cap at six ounces. Okay. If I were like making a drink program, I would be like the largest drink you can get is a six ounce drink. If it is a, uh, like a latte or a, a cappuccino. And, you know, that's interesting because that kind of runs counter to what is the typical thought behind that as well. And I think my friend, she called it like the Starbucks-ization um, of how we consume coffee. Yeah. So the idea is that you can't just get the coffee straight. It has to be like a frappuccino or something right. with a ton of sugar and milk and whipped cream. And by the time you're done, it's not really coffee anymore. I mean, it's delicious. But it's not the same. It's not the same. Um, and then also, too, for that matter, um, take like your 16 ounce, 20 ounce drink one day and maybe just fill that cup up with water and then pour that water into a bowl and just see how much liquid that is. Like it's it actually changes your perception when you see because like if you're used to seeing like a bowl of cereal, you know, kind of how much milk that is. Right. Uh, in a cup, it's kind of deceptive as to how much, you know, calorie intake you're actually consuming. But when you put it in the bowl, all of a sudden you go, wow, like that is actually a a lot of milk that I'm consuming, probably unnecessarily when you could easily get a six ounce drink um, and then maybe have some water if you're still thirsty. That's kind of interesting. As I was like thumbing through the, the website and I came across the recipes, what is the most unique combination that uh, you created with the cold brew? Uh, the most unique combination. So I've actually worked on some cocktails as well, like alcoholic cocktails. Okay. Okay. And, uh, there is a drink that contains, uh, something called Sotol. And Sotol is a liqueur that is, uh, extracted from, uh, like a close relative to agave. Oh, wow. Okay. It has like this bell peppery taste. It tastes like green bell pepper. And it's very intense. It's it's almost as intense as Malort, but just a different, it's more vegetal. Okay. And I took it as a challenge to, uh, with, with David Moore, who's an amazing mixologist. Um, and me and him have worked on these uh, cocktail recipes, but finding a way to combine so tall into a coffee cocktail that is enjoyable was probably like the most challenging thing that we did. And we actually got a cocktail that tasted really good. So again, just so I can understand. So you mix it with this um, substance, the so tall, that's almost like a green bell pepper type flavor. Mm-hmm. That is crazy. I'm just trying to imagine that combination. Yeah, it's, how long uh, did it take you to perfect that? 
there are actually some uh, some coffees that taste like uh, green bell pepper themselves, like uh, Sumatra and Ling Tong, for example. Uh, you get like a lot of uh, sweet potato and uh, like snow pea and bell pepper notes from those coffees too. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. They actually taste like consomme, like vegetable consomme. Now, we know that unfortunately the pandemic took a toll on the coffee shop and wholesale industry as a whole because, you know, with the closures and things like that. So how have you survived some of these challenges and how can um, our listeners best support you as we're facing, you know, I know Chicago's reopening, hopefully fingers crossed and things like that. How best can we support our favorite coffee shops like Coyote Black through what's going on right now? So, yeah, um, the thing that's really kind of helped me throughout the entire life of my company has been my online subscription model. So having like just recurring revenue and just an existing customer base that I can stay relevant with, without that, I wouldn't be here to this day. Um, it got me through challenges in the past, and then it also helped really get me through uh, losing all my wholesale business because I originally started the company just focusing on that aspect alone, but the wholesale side of things really became, you know, if that became 70% of my business overall and 30% became the online subscriptions. Oh, wow. Yeah. So when the pandemic hit, I lost all my wholesale accounts. They all shut down. So overnight basically i was like okay i'm only operating at 30 percent, really but uh fortunately because of just the kind of uh reputation that i built over the time and you know people knew that i was affected by this without me even asking anyone people started just posting about my coffee and saying hey guys now's the time to try kyoto black get a subscription it'll help justin out but also you'll be really happy you did it and that became like just kind of echoed through everyone. So the people who who were the first to hear that message passed the message along to other people and saying, hey, no, this is really the truth. Like, check this out. And uh, my subscriptions got to a point now where I've pretty much recovered from everything that I lost uh, in the pandemic. So, oh, wow. That's yeah. so the, you know, the, 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 thing that I tell everybody is if they want to check it out, if they want to help support, uh, just visit my website and, you know, order a pouch and uh, have it delivered to you and just see what it's about. Can you drink it with, you know, like when you take the mask off your face, <laughs> and you put this cold brew up to, you, you know, up to your nose, can you smell it through the mask? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> smell it through the mask, baby. Yeah. <laughs> I'm down with yeah, that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, very aromatic. Uh, it's about three times as strong as your typical, like, uh, drip coffee in terms right. of just how, how, how concentrated it is. So it's definitely uh, very potent, and um, it's applicable in so many different dishes. Uh, you know, I've made ice cream with it, and actually one of my favorite things to make is tiramisu with it, the tiramisu, uh, because... Typically, you know, it calls for dipping the lady fingers in espresso and using my black label coffee just gives you this really intense, decadent, dark chocolate coffee flavored tiramisu that I just look for any excuse to make. 
Now, I'm going to have to try that because I am like a sucker for tiramisu. But you guys who are listening, I, I have to tell you, the ordering process on his website couldn't be easier. Um, like I, I think I said in the beginning of this segment, we are on our second um, order of it. And um, it just comes super fast to your house. And it is just really amazing. And I love yeah. the packaging that you put it in, too, because it has like the sprout and everything it very easily you know fits into your fridge and like you said with it being concentrated um you can get a lot of uses out of it yeah and i'm someone who hits coffee hard every day as i i jokingly tell big daddy i drink coffee for all of you <laughs> no there are too many pouches in my refrigerator i can't get anything else in there yeah but it is worth it and i um i cannot say enough if about trying his coffee. So where can our listeners find your store both in Chicago and then ordered online? So yeah, uh, we're located at 1445 West Devon Avenue, which is in Edgewater in Chicago. And you can visit our website, Kyoto, K-Y-O-T-O, stylecoffee.com to place an order and that'll be shipped to you. Uh, If you're anywhere in the United States, uh, we ship for free. And, uh, there are some people who like to order internationally. I would probably say don't do that now just because um, the pandemic has slowed down a lot of shipments internationally. That's her letting us know that she's going to, we're, you're going to be able to ship internationally eventually. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I have, a two cents. <laughs> I have a customer in Switzerland and uh, she will order my coffee like maybe once a year. And we just had a little fiasco with her shipment being held because uh, shipments from America are being halted depending on where they're going. Right. So, yeah, hers was basically sitting there for like two months without moving. And yeah, and it got to her and I told her, just toss it and I'll send her a free one once this is all done. So hopefully when things do pick up, though, you'll be able to notify everyone on, on your website when they can ship internationally again, because we do have a lot of listeners in Europe and overseas. Mm-hmm. So. I would say, uh, yeah, once this whole Corona thing is passed, uh, that, then I can kind of put that out there right now. I just don't feel confident that it'll reach you in the amount of time that is, you know, a comfortable window of travel. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's refreshing. At least to have that. Yeah. So Justin, um, as we wrap up this interview, we um, always end the Gourmet Goober podcast by asking our listeners to, or I'm sorry, our guests to share with us what's the best thing they ate this week. Actually, I'm asking, I'm, I mean, you can open it up. You can go either way with like the best thing you ate this week or what would be the best thing you drank this week? Oh. Ooh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go deep into this one. Um, so I'll answer first the best thing that I ate this week. Uh, so there's a pie shop called the Beard and Belly, and it is uh, actually right across the street from me, uh, where I live in Edgewater. And okay. they do a assortment of pies, but their banana cream pie is like absolutely to die for. I love bananas, and uh, they just nail every single aspect of the pie. So that for me was probably the best thing that I had this week in terms of eating. Um, in terms of drinking, 
So this is going to sound really funny, but actually the best thing that I had to drink this week was water. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a specific water. So I'm a huge fan of mineral waters. Okay. And uh, also across the street from my shop, there's a place called Devon Market. And they are a like kind of uh, Western European centric market. So they have a lot of different pastries and, you know, goodies from Western Europe. And they also carry a lot of the waters from like Romania and all these different places. And there's this one sparkling water that's called Borshek. And it has like a mineral composition that is like high in magnesium and calcium. And it's like the effervescence of it. It's just like really gentle. Uh, It's like, it's, it's, it's a strong um, sparkle, but the bubble, like the perception on your tongue is so gentle and smooth that I've been just loving that water ever since I found out about it. So I look for any excuse to go and just try like these new waters. So I know it's kind of funny, but the best thing that I had to drink this week was probably water. And uh, one thing that I want to kind of put on your radar. Okay. So I don't know the name of this place, but I saw a photo that someone posted of a a tamale shop um, that is doing a, uh, Italian beef tamale and everyone is going crazy over it and I'm trying to find out where I can get this thing okay if you find out you must let us know that sounds so good yeah it's got like the the hot peppers and everything on it and I'm just like oh my god like that is so Chicago that someone yes. make an Italian beef tamale so I'm like I have to have this now oh my gosh well okay I, I think you totally win at the best thing you ate this week <laughs> Although I have to say, you told you when you said water, that just threw me off. I was just, I was just thinking, oh my gosh, what kind of coffee or blend? <laughs> and it was water. But yeah. I have to try this because this sounds really, really great. Yeah, well, at some so- point, I'm gonna do like a a water uh, test, like tasting, and just like show people how water can be so different because the water that you use it actually really impacts coffee itself, right? Uh, you know, the mineral content, but. On top of that, just when you look at where waters come from, their origin, just like every other food item that you know we eat or drink, they have their own particular characteristics. And that's just really fun to kind of deep dive into. Oh, wow. Well, if you do that taste test, we'll have to have you back and then we'll be able to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, Justin, I just want to say thank you so very much for being on the show. And thank you, everyone, for listening to The Gourmet Goober as we wrap things up. Where can they find you online, Big Daddy? Uh, you can find me online at uh, Twitter. <laughs> uh, look for T-Outlaw. That's T-O-U-T-L-A-W. Yes, I can spell. And on Instagram <laughs> at T-Outlaw Josie Wells. You say that every episode. Like, we should be surprised that you don't know your Twitter handle. I don't always know my Twitter <laughs> handle. Well, as always, I'm JJ Outlaw, so you can find me that. Um, at JJ Outlaw on Twitter. Um, you can find me at the Gourmet Goober on Instagram. Please send us an email. Tell us how much you love this interview with Justin today. You can send it at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. You can also hit us up at thegourmetgoober.com so you can see um, old episodes. You can check out some of our old recipes when we were a traditional food blog and, you know, just come and hang out. But For Justin, um, for Big Daddy and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Gourmet Goober podcast. And until next time, happy eating. Happy eating.